um, been here for the first time this year. I am Deb Haygood, and I am married to Scott. I have a daughter, Rachel, and a son, Ben, and they're both married. So I have a handsome son-in-law, Mike, and a beautiful, awesome daughter-in-law, Erin. And uh, my husband and I feel like we are very, very blessed. I also have a grandson, Dylan, and he was two years old uh, Sunday. And I'm going to share one quick story about Dylan, and I promise it will be the only story this semester. Um, Dylan came to stay with us for a week in September. And he is quite an active boy. It was great fun. One morning, he wanted to play the piano. And I'm the grandmother, and I said, okay. So I sat down with my coffee and watched him play. He climbed up on the uh, bench and began to play the piano. And he looked over at me, and he says, I pay soft, which means I play soft. And he gently touched the keys. And then he raised his hands up, and he looked at me, and he said, I play loud, and that's, I play loud, and I said, okay, and he brings his hands down, and right before he hits the keys, he stops, and then he played kind of normally loud, and I just laughed, and I thought it was the cutest thing I'd ever seen, and so he did it for 15 more minutes, I play soft, I play loud, and I watched him, but what brought tears to my eyes was when he sang, Jesus Loves Me. Now, Rachel had told me that he could sing Jesus Loves Me, and she understands every word, but not so with Granny. So he's singing a song, and I wasn't quite sure what it was until he got to this line, which was very clear, and it said, For the Bible tells me so. And when he said that, I knew he was singing Jesus Loves Me. And it touched my heart. I thought, Lord, what a great truth for him to know. What a foundational truth. And I prayed, Lord, let that truth go deep into his heart so that Dylan will always know that Jesus loves him because the Bible tells him so. The Bible is God's love letter to us, to each of us, to you and to me. It's his story of love for mankind from the beginning of time. We come every Thursday to study and read and listen to the words of God, words of mercy and grace and salvation and forgiveness and justice and love, love, and more love. This fall, we're looking at real women that we find in Scripture, and we're looking at them with regard to their relationships. First, their relationship with God and how that affects the relationships they have with others. And we've seen quite a few relationships so far. We are also studying them, you might have noticed, in order. So as we study them, we can see God's story of love unfold. Lynn told us uh, when we were looking at Rebecca about God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And we talk about those verses a lot, and it's because they are central to the whole Bible. God promised Abraham that he would give him land, specific land, and he promised him many descendants, and he promised that all nations would be blessed through him. And that is really a reference to Jesus Christ, ultimately. Because Jesus, we know, came to earth as all God and all man. And we can trace his lineage. He's from the line of David. And David was from the line of Judah. And Judah was the fourth son of Jacob. Rebekah had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And God named him Israel. And so it's his 12 sons that become the nation Israel. Uh, when um, last week we looked at Miriam and Moses and they were going through the wilderness and they were at, 
as the story progresses, they come to the Jordan River. And at the Jordan River, Moses is about to die. And so he turns the reins over to Joshua. And they look over and they see Canaan, the land God promised to Abraham. And God says to Joshua that I will go before you. Be bold and courageous and trust in me. Love me and follow me. Obey me and I will drive out those people that have occupied the land and you will settle there. And that is what happened. Joshua went with the people and they followed God and they drove out the people there, but not quite all of them, but most of them. And you see on the map up here, this is um, Israel. And the colored little areas there, those were the tribes, those 12 sons of Jacob. And that is how Israel was divided up. Now, on the bottom of your outline, I have the names of those 12 sons, because we've talked about them a lot. So I thought I'd just put them down there, and then you can see them on the map and how the land was divided among them. There's Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, which is down south, Issachar, Zebulun, Gad, Asher, Dan, Naphtali, Joseph, and Benjamin. And you'll notice under Joseph, I have a line, and those are his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And that was because Joseph got a double portion. We know Joseph was the son that was sold into slavery, and that's how they ended up getting to Egypt when Moses led them out. His two sons got land when they divided up, um, or the tribes of those two sons got land in Israel. Now, those of you that are pretty quick would count and realize that would be 13. But let me tell you quickly, the tribe of Levi was the priestly tribe, and so they got no specific land. They lived throughout Israel in the cities and in the towns. After Joshua was um, old and about to die, they had settled the land, and at the end of Joshua, he reminds the people of what God has done, and that is on your verse sheet. Joshua 23, and this is what he tells the people to remember after he's gone. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand, because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will be snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. The book of Joshua ends and the book of Judges opens up. And I had you read in your homework, chapter 2 in the book of Judges, to see kind of what is happening um, during this time period. Judges uh, spans about a 300-year time period. And you see in chapter 2 that very quickly, not even a generation has passed since Joshua died, and the Israelites are doing exactly what Joshua told them not to do. They're allying themselves with the foreigners in that country, and they're worshiping their gods, the false gods, not the one true living God. Their sin was severe. And God's displeasure was great. And so he allowed those foreigners around there to oppress the Israelite people. And after a time, the Israelites would turn back to God, and they would call out to God and ask for mercy. And God in his mercy and in compassion, every time, would raise up a judge to save them. 
He would raise up a judge that would go out and lead the military into battle, and God would be with them, and he would defeat them, and they would have victory. And then they would know a time of peace. This cycle that we saw in Judges 2 described is repeated throughout the book of Judges. Over and over again, this cycle is repeated. And so when you're looking at Judges, look for this cycle. And you can remember it with five words that begin with S. The first is sin, the Israelites' sin. Second, servitude. God allows uh, whoever to oppress them. They're in servitude. And then the Israelites, after a time, will call out. They'll turn back to God and call out to him in supplication. Supplication is your third word. And then God in his mercy will raise up a judge, a savior. And then they will know a period of peace or silence. And you see this cycle repeated over and over again. But also you read in Judges 2 how each time they were a little bit more corrupt. So not only was it a cycle, it was a downward spiral that they continued on. So let's turn to Judges 4 and look at our story of Deborah. While you're turning to Judges 4, I want to tell you a little bit about the word judge. The Hebrew word is shofitim. And it means not only a political leader, one that would administer justice and look over administrative things, it was also, as we just said, a military leader. The shofitim was a military leader that led them into battle. And then thirdly, they were a spiritual leader. They led the people and turned their hearts back towards God. So let's begin reading with verse 1. After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So right off the bat, we see sin, the first part of the cycle. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan. And that word there, Lord sold them, that uh, is describing how great God's displeasure was. To Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Heresheth Hagoyim, because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. So here we see the servitude. They've been oppressed for 20 years. And now the supplication. They're crying out to the Lord for help. And God in his mercy is going to raise up a savior, a judge, and it will be Deborah, a woman. And she is the only woman, Shofitim, that is in the book of Judges. Let's look at verse 4. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. Now, there's many words that we can use for Deborah, but I'm going to only use two that describe her relationships, and that is godly leader. Deborah is a godly leader. And first we're going to look at this relationship with God. She has a close, intimate, personal relationship with God, and we're going to look at the scriptures um, to find out how we know that. Um, First we see her, Deborah, and I want to tell you that her name means honeybee. And that kind of has the connotation industrious, hardworking. Someone in the small group time today said that um, it... Honeybee is uh, seeking honey, and Deborah was a seeker of truth, and I think that's very true. And we see that she is married to Lapidoth. She's the wife of Lapidoth. Now, we don't know anything about that. We don't know how long she was married, if she had children. We just know that she was a wife. And then it says she was a prophetess. Now, the word there for prophetess is 
uh, nabaya, and that is the female tense of the male word for prophet. And prophet literally means one who announces or declares. So a prophet was one who was divinely inspired to communicate God's will to his people and also to disclose the future to them. So they did two things. They disclosed God's will to his people and they declared, dis- disclosed the future to them. And a prophet was always right because a prophet was divinely inspired by God and so they spoke the truth. They spoke God's truth, his message. And so what they said always came to pass. That's how we would know that it was a true prophet, that what they said came to pass. And we're going to see Deborah here declaring God's will to the people and also disclosing the future. Verse 4 also tells us, that she was leading the Israelites. Now, the word there for leading in Hebrew is the verb form of shofitim. She was the judge. She was a judge that God had raised up, a woman to lead Israel. And verse 5 gives us a little more um, insight into what she did as a judge. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. Um, On the map, you saw Ephraim was kind of in the middle of the country. And Bethel um, is a little point kind of in the, I don't think you can see it, but it's sort of in that lower, uh, kind of towards the center part of uh, Ephraim, you see Bethel. And that is where she held court. And it says the people came to her to have their disputes settled. So I think this implies that Deborah was a woman of wisdom. She was wise. She had godly wisdom. They respected her and came to her to hear her wise um, declarations. Deborah provided justice with godly wisdom. And then in verse 6, we're going to see that Deborah is a woman of great faith. Faith means believing God taking God at his word. And in these verses, she demonstrates great faith. Let's look. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kedesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops, to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands." Deborah listens to God, she believes God, she obeys God. She summons Barak, who lives up north in Naphtali, and she speaks truth to him. She tells Barak God's exact words. Deborah had heard God, she had listened to him, and she believed him that God would do exactly what he said. And so in obedience, she gives God's command to Barak. And what is Barak's response? Let's look in verse 8. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. One commentator I read said that if this is an example of the most faithful man in Israel at the time, you can see why God picked a woman to be judge. Now, I'm not sure that maybe God just didn't want a woman to be judge. But anyway, that's, that's what they said. But to be fair to Barak, I want us to remember that Jabin's army had 900 iron chariots. There were 900 iron chariots. And that usually meant that at least two and maybe three horses went along with that. So there's over 2,000 horses 
This is a great military strength. And they've been cruelly oppressed for 20 years. And we saw Naphtali is up north. Well, also Hazar, where Jabin was reigning, is also up north, close by. So he probably had firsthand experience with all of this. Have you ever been afraid to do something that you knew you should do? I would have loved to have heard all the stories that were told in your small groups. I can think of many times that I had uh, something that I thought I should do, but I failed to do it. But there's one time that I want to tell you about that um, happened probably about 15 years ago. My children went through public school, and I was always very um, involved in the school. I think you should be involved in your children's school. And I was involved in the PTA. And the PTA, I want to say, is a very good organization. They are the largest child advocacy group in the country, so they do many good things. Um, but this day, I was at a PTA council meeting in Fort Worth, and that's where all of the PTA presidents from all the PTAs would come to this council meeting once a month in Fort Worth, and we'd discuss different things. And lots of times we voted on whether we were going to support or oppose different bills or things the school board was planning. I mean, it could be local or it could be national. And the PTA, they don't pass anything, but they do have some... Um, influence with uh, their positions. And so this day, I don't remember exactly, but it had something to do with um, sex education in the schools and whether to provide birth control measures. And everybody was for it, and everybody was talking about it. And I sat there and thought, what we really need is abstinence education. We really need to give these kids an alternative to, to that. And I thought, oh, I should say something, and I'm looking around to see if anybody else is going to say something, and nobody was, and I just remember feeling like God was wanting me to really stand up and speak for this, but I was so scared, and my face was flushed red, and my heart was beating so fast, and then all of a sudden, I don't know how, I was standing up, and I had been recognized, and I began to say, in probably two or three incoherent sentences, my thoughts about abstinence education, and before um, I even sat down, the room full of people turned to me and they were shouting, what are you thinking? Are you kidding? You've never had... And they just started... And finally the you know, speaker got control and uh, we took a vote and sadly to say um, it passed overwhelmingly in favor of that position. But it did not pass unanimously. There were a few others in the room that voted no along with me. It was a scary thing to do, but I thought I should do it. And, and so I can appreciate Barrick's fear when Deborah comes to him with this command. And I think we all probably have been in a position to understand that. But a fifth way we see Deborah's intimate relationship with God is her worship of God through praise. And we're going to see that in chapter 5 in her song of praise. I'm going to look at that in a little more detail later you can know someone has an intimate relationship with God by the way they praise God because praise draws us closer to the heart of God. That's why we have praise time every week in here to give people opportunity and also to be encouraged by each other's praises. We're going to look at that in a minute, but right now I want us to turn um, our attention to Deborah as a godly leader. Emphasis now. On leader, We're going to look at her leadership abilities. And what jumped out at me as I studied Deborah this time was the way she encouraged those that were under her leadership. And first we see it with Barak in verse 9. So let's read that. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you. 
But because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So she encourages Barak with her presence. She says, I will go with you. Sometimes maybe you've done that for your children. They needed you to go with them. Maybe it was driving a friend or a spouse to radiation treatment or chemo or rehab. Maybe it's just walking alongside someone as they go through a difficult time. Deborah encourages Barak with her physical presence, and we can do that as well. And it's easy to understand why her presence would encourage Barak. She was God's appointed leader. She had great faith in a powerful God. Have you ever been around someone with great faith? It encourages your faith just to be with them. And Deborah also was encouraging in the way she spoke honestly with Barak. Now, she didn't unduly criticize him. She didn't say, whoa, you chicken. You know, what's wrong with you? Buck up. Have some faith. Get out there. You know, and she also didn't go the other way. She didn't say, that's okay, Barak. You're just doing the best you can. You know, I think it's so hard to be honest, to speak the truth in love. Because some of us want to go too far on that critical way and beat them up with it. And then the rest of us are on this, you know, that's okay. We give them such a break that they really never come to grips with their attitude toward God. But Deborah speaks right down the middle. Okay, but the honor will not be yours. Who do you think Barak thinks she was talking about when she said that? He probably thought she was talking about herself, Deborah. But this is a prophetic statement because those of us that have read through the story know that there's another very courageous woman that God is going to use to bring down Sisera. So let's read on, verse 10. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. And then we have a little parentheses verse here. And we learn about Heber the Kenite, who was a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law. And he has moved from down south in Judah to up north near Kadesh. Verse 12 tells us, When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him from Harasheth Agoyim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go! This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Once again, we see Deborah encourage Barak, and this time she does it with words. She reminds Barak of God's plan, of his purpose, and of his power. She says, go. This is the day that God is going to do what he said. And God is powerful. Has he not gone ahead of you? Has he not gone ahead of you? God is mighty. He can defeat 900 chariots. He is the God of the universe. He is a God of miracles. And he is the God of Israel. On your verse sheet, I have a few verses, um, but I'm just going to read Psalm 20, verse 7. The psalmist says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And that's what Deborah did. She trusted in the Lord. She encourages Barak by reminding him of who God is and reminding him of who he can be with God. God's plan for Barak 
she tells him and reminds him of that, that he is the one that's going to lead them into battle against Sisera. It kind of reminds me of the movie Elizabeth. I know some of you have probably seen it when Queen Elizabeth was on the horse kind of in battle and the English were going out, um, I think, against Spain. But she sits there on the horse and she gives them these great stirring words to lead them out. You know, our words as leaders can be very powerful. Deborah's words to Barak that day were very powerful. Carol Kent, in her book, Becoming a Woman of Influence, has a chapter called The Principle of Casting Vision. How many of you have read that book, Becoming a Woman of Influence? Some of you have in here, some of the moms. Yeah. In it, she says this. When we work with people and name the potential we see in them, it helps them to envision their personal worth to God and to us. And then she goes on to say, and I think this is very important, so listen to this. We have to be careful about jumping to conclusions when we affirm people regarding their God-given potential. But our prayerful verbalization of the gifts we see in others helps build their confidence and gives them a vision of what their future ministry might be. I think the key word here is be prayerful. Be prayerful when you're mentoring and or in a leadership position with people. And also be observant. Be thoughtful. Ask God to give you a lens to look through that you might see the potential of those that you are working with, the people that God has put in your path that are around you. Ask for discernment when you spend time with them. Ask for God's guidance as you train people or lead people. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's another younger woman or a friend or a coworker. There's many people that come through our path and we are in a leadership position with them. Ask God for discernment that you might see their potential and encourage them towards that. Last fall, we uh, studied the 12 disciples of Jesus and we saw him using uh, this method many times. Great examples. I always think about Peter. On your verse sheet, I have John 1:42. The first time Jesus sees Peter, and his name was Simon then, he says, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. And that means rock. So here is this impetuous, wishy-washy, jumping out and saying things kind of guy. And I know that it must have encouraged him every time he did something like that to think back to Jesus calling him a rock the very first time he met him. And Peter would go on to be a rock in the Christian faith. I also think about Matthew. I love Matthew. Everybody saw a despised tax collector, and Jesus saw an author. He saw a man that would write his story in the great um, gospel of Matthew. Encourage others by pointing out their potential with God. So let's read a little bit about this battle, starting in verse 15 here. So Barak went down Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. And I'm going to tell you in a minute why I think he did that. But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Hereshith Hagoyim. All the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. This is like, I mean, this could be a movie. It's so exciting. And then this next part is really amazing. 
Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, because there were friendly relations between Jabin, king of Hazar, and the clan of Heber, the Kenite. And then the story goes on. Let me briefly say, Jael, um, Sisera comes to her and, and asks for milk and asks to lay down, and Jael says, okay, but what we see is that Jael doesn't hold the same sentiments as her husband. She is not a follower of Jabin. She is a follower of the Lord. And so while he is laying asleep, she takes a tent peg. And as the women of those days, they were the ones that sent up, that would set up the tents. Now, I'm not talking about a little pup tent in the backyard. I'm talking, you've seen them, those big tents of canvas with the big tent pegs and it would take strength and she knew how to hit a good lick on that peg and that's exactly what she did to Sisera's head as he lay sleeping she drove that peg through his temple and he died and then it says uh, 20 verse 22 Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera and Jael went out to meet him come she said I will show you the man you're looking for so he went in with her and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. Now you know the words of Deborah must have rang through his mind as uh, he saw this woman with Sisera. Verse 23 says, On that day God subdued Jabin, the Canaanite king, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the Canaanite king, until they destroyed him. God did exactly what he said he would do. He gave the victory to the Israelites. We saw some of the details of this battle just now, but Deborah also puts more details in her hymn of victory, her praise song that's in chapter 5. Chapter 5 is Deborah's joyful song of praise to the Lord. I said earlier that we see Deborah's intimate and close relationship with God in the way she worships him in this song of praise. And I also see a last quality of Deborah's in this song, and that is humility. Deborah is humble. She remembers God, and she remembers others. The definition of humility, one definition, is knowing who you are in light of who God is. And Deborah knew who she was. She knew that she was the judge, the appointed judge, the leader in Israel. But she also knows, and she knows more importantly, that it is God who gets the credit for the victory because it is God who is the ultimate leader in Israel. And so it's to God that she will give the credit. It's to God that she will sing and make music to. And I also see her humility because she doesn't call herself a great leader in this hymn. Instead, she refers to herself as a nurturing mother, a mother in Israel. You you see this humble attitude in that. I think Romans 12.3 has a great definition of uh, humility. This is Paul speaking on your verse sheet. It says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. And I see Deborah doing exactly that. Not only does Deborah praise God for the victory, but she praises God for the hearts of the Israelites that have turned back to him. In fact, as you read her psalm, you get the feeling that she is more excited about that than the victory. She's more excited that the hearts of Israel have turned back to God, the one true faithful God. 
Israel is again following God. She says they are willingly offering themselves to the Lord. And so she encourages them by mentioning the various tribes that helped in the battle. She's not thinking of herself. She's thinking of God and God's people. She doesn't need the praise for herself. She doesn't need the acclaim to be called a hero. A humble leader thinks of those that she's leading and how she can best encourage them and encourage them to use their potential. This is what she did with Barak. She helped Barak to see what God saw in Barak. And she is very successful. Barak was the commander of God's army. And she was so successful that it's Barak's name that we see in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. Now, we've talked a lot about that Hall of Faith. It's where the faithful men and women of the Old Testament are listed. And I've put Hebrews 11.32 on your verse sheet. And it says here, What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. And I've underlined this because I think we're talking about Barak here. Whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle in routed foreign armies. How do you think Barak's weakness was turned to strength? By the faithful, godly, encouraging leadership of Deborah. And do you think she was upset over his success? Do you think if she was here today, she'd be jealous to think her name wasn't mentioned and his is in chapter 11? No. No, I think not, because Deborah was a humble leader. She was an encouraging leader, and it takes humility to be a good encourager. She saw herself as a mother nurturing Israel. She would be thrilled for Barak to know that his name is there. We see a great strength of character in her humility. And I think we should remember humble people are not weak people. Humble people have a great strength of character. It's kind of the opposite of what we saw last week with Miriam who got jealous over Moses' position. We don't see that in Deborah. We see a humble, encouraging leader who um, encourages and makes the most of Barak's potential. And not only that, but she mentions all the other tribes. And she even mentions J.L. in this great song of praise. So we just have a couple minutes, but let's look through it. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's so beautiful. I want us to go through and talk about a few of these verses. And this is Deborah and Barak singing Deborah's song. Verse 2 says, When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I will sing to the Lord. I will sing. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. O Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. And then in verse 6, she talks about what was going on in that recent history, that the roads were abandoned, that travelers were taking to those winding paths. They were afraid of the oppression they were under. Village life in Israel ceased, ceased until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. When they chose new gods, war came to the city gates, and not a shield or spear was seen. 
My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. Because now things are changing. They're turning their hearts back to God. And she talks about the rich, those who ride on white donkeys, and the poor, those who walk along the road. And she says, Consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts of his warriors in Israel. She's saying, Remember God. Look to God. He is the one that brings victory to his people. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. Wake up, wake up, Deborah. Arise, O Barak, take captive your captives. And this is a reference meaning the leaders uh, initiate the action. Then the men who were left came down to the nobles. The people of the Lord came to me with the mighty. Some came from Ephraim, and on our map you see Ephraim in the middle there, whose roots were in Amalek. Benjamin, which is below it, They came with the people who followed you. From Maker, captains came down. Now that word, that's a line in Manasseh. So that's referring to Manasseh, that section entered in. From Zebulon, those who bear a commander's staff. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah and with Barak. And then she mentions a few people, a few tribes or regions that either they didn't come or they were slow getting there. And they're Reuben and Dan and Asher. She said they remained by the coast and by their ships. And you can see Dan and Asher on your map are there by the Mediterranean Sea. But then she gives high praise to Zebulun and Naphtali. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives, and so did Naphtali on the heights of the field. And then if you'll drop down to verse 20 and 21, these verses talk about divine intervention. And people think in verse 21, it says, The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon, march on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hoofs, galloping, galloping go his mighty steeds. They think that this is talking about divine intervention in the form of huge rainstorm that caused the Kishon River to flood and As it flooded into the valley, it became muddy, and the chariots and the horses could not go through it. They became bogged down, and that is why Sisera abandoned his chariot and went on foot. So you can see their might in these horses and chariots were of no use uh, in this battle because they were bogged down. God was more powerful and is more powerful than chariots and horses. And then she goes on to praise Jael, verse 24, most blessed of women, be Jael, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. And she recites again how Jael um, struck down Sisera. And then you see this sad part here, Sisera's mother. She talks about his waiting at home and getting worried because he's so late in returning and he's not going to return. And verse 31, this is a verse ending in blessing. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but may they who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. And that's a metaphor meaning having a life full of blessing. And then the land had peace 40 years. The cycle has ended with peace, silence. Probably that's how long Deborah lived. Now, as we close this lesson, I want us to think about Deborah as an encouraging leader. And how can we be godly leaders that encourage others? And I just want to remind us of the four ways I saw Deborah doing that. First, we need a close personal relationship with God. We need our own relationship with God. That's the first most important thing. And then secondly, we encourage others with our physical presence, maybe just walking alongside Third, with honesty and humility. 
It takes a humble person to encourage others. And fourth, with words reminding others of God's plan. That's how Deborah encouraged Barak and the people of Israel. And on your verse sheet, I have this verse. It's one of my favorites. It's Hebrews 10:24, and it says, Let us consider how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are a mighty God. Father, how we love your word and these stories of your greatness and your might. Father, how we love this story of Deborah, this leader that you raised up, who loved you, who had a relationship with you, and Father, in her humility, encouraged those around her. Father, I pray that each of us in this room, Father, first and foremost, that we would draw close to you in praise, that we would love you, that we would follow after you, that our relationship with you would grow stronger. And Father, then let us be women and leaders that encourage others in that. You are a good God, and we love you very much. Praise you, Lord. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.